everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Life podcast. I hope you're all adjusting to the new name that was the Threads of Autism and you can certainly go to the webpage now and have a look around there. It is still very much a work in progress, especially in terms of the blogs, but you will find the podcast episodes come up and you can also sign up to my monthly newsletter from the webpage that is www thethreadsoflife.co.uk. So still very much the same format. It's all about starting conversations and this is about embracing family life and neurodiversity. Today's title, Food Wars, should really be titled Food Relationships. But Food Wars is a lot more attention-grabbing and, you know, whilst we're all aware of the need to be positive as a parent, when you have a neurodiverse and or ADHD and or autistic and or sensory processing disorder or all of the above, and you are feeding your child three times a day, every day, if there are other children in the family who are neurotypical or different ages, this can be up to six meals a day, every single day. Trust me, it can literally feel like war. And it's not war against the child. <laughs> it's war against their sensory systems that are constantly changing and are constantly being affected by internal and external stimuli all the time. So newsflash here, uh, there is so, so much more going on than just the food. I could literally make another 10 episodes on some of the periphery stuff. And perhaps I will in the future certainly do a deep dive down into some of them because they are all hugely impactful. And so to keep it very brief for this episode, you know, the things that we have to think about around eating, there is the planning, executing and maintaining of body positions and movements for eating. So sitting in a chair in a certain posture at a table, using utensils, knife, fork, spoon, some of them simultaneously, opening your mouth for food to go in, whether it's chewed and swallowed or perhaps swallowed first, all of those things take an enormous amount of effort for some of our children. We have to think about the timing of those meals and of course these are busy families and everybody in in our society runs on a typical day and it's breakfast lunch and dinner at more or less the same time and on any given day that particular child's stomach may be more full than you realize ready for for that meal for another hour or so and and on the flip side they could be could have been absolutely starving for it an hour prior both scenarios of which creates yeah, lots of tension when the food is actually on the table. <laughs> there is also obviously the things that we're familiar with around eating, and that is the child's expectation versus what is presented to them, the length it's going to take to eat that meal, the quantity of food, the presentation of the food, whether things are mixed or touching each other, the colors, textures, temperatures, everything. It's a lot to deal on it, to deal with. And of course, then there's the social expectations, you know, of sitting with other family members potentially at a table and everything that goes with that, the kind of social norms and mannerisms we have about manners, about uh, conversation, and 
I think this is where it gets particularly tough for parents because we want we want the neurotypical experience. We want to sit down in the family home and enjoy a meal together. It's it's what makes a family almost, you know, food and conversation at the table. And unfortunately, it's something our children find very very difficult to do. So it's not it's not just about their expectations. We we may know they're autistic. We may know they have sensory issues. We may know just know them to be fussy picky eaters, but it doesn't stop us from really, really wanting that hearty home experience. And and of course, then you immediately think of the big occasions like Christmas where, where it gets even worse. And all I can say is that you absolutely have to let it go. You will not win this one. It will come. It will come in time. All children, no matter what age and what their diagnoses are, do grow and develop it just will always be a bit different. And when they do come and join you, maybe just for a brief moment at that family dinner table, or when they suddenly tuck into a meal you never in a million years thought they would, just really, I mean, those become so much more joyous than anything else. And those are the moments that you savor. The rest, you gotta, you got to just let go. <laughs> and you've got to adjust and adapt. I'm going to pipe up now and make listeners either want to leave immediately or persevere and think, you cow, how could you possibly know what it's like? And say that actually my non-speaking autistic ADHD son, Henry, rather alarmingly, is an amazing eater. Uh, yeah, I mean, he has the most incredible relationship with food. And, and don't ask me how. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a recipe. I can assure you that. I think a lot of it, I guess... Some of the things I did in his younger years have influenced. I have the beauty of him being my third child. And I didn't know I was doing them at the time. You know, I guess some of that has helped. But but other than that, no, no secret recipe, I can assure you. I'm not going to be sitting here telling you what to do and what works because it's different for all of us. I do, however, know what most of you go through and what most of you experience when all of us refer to things like fussy or picky eaters because my eldest son who is now 20 was the most astonishing difficult fussy all those words you use eater from the get-go from the day I started to wean him and guess what surprise surprise 20 years old six months ago he received an ADHD diagnosis I just oh my god I want to cringe at how wrong specifically with food I got it with this boy still kind of in stages of of processing a lot of this as well 20 years old I already have a very ADHD non-speaking autistic child how did I not see this in the older one blah 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 but the things we did with Benjamin the older one oh my goodness the things I did I can remember as a, even as a young toddler just having to completely distract him in order to get that mouthful of food in and it's taking an absolute age, feeling absolutely like I was literally pulling my own fingernails out. And eventually that last little mouthful went in. And not 30 seconds later, this little critter just puked the whole lot up bleh, all over the tray. I mean, it happened time and time again. Oh my gosh, as he got a bit older, it was bribing, it was discipline that I'm ashamed to say I did. It was 
shouting and telling him he's ruining our family meals. It was putting timers on the table and oh, just all the wrong type of stuff because his relationship with food was so different to ours. So yes, sorry about that, Ben. If you if you you are my podcast editor, I don't know how much of this you actually listen to, other than just looking for the clips and bits I ask you to edit, <laughs> as in all my ums. But apologies, yeah, in um, for all of that. <laughs> and again, even though Henry is an amazing little eater, he is actually on paper termed underweight, and. Our journey with him has obviously been hugely different. He is non-speaking autistic. His mealtimes have been a very, very different experience. I just think, thank goodness, I thought to myself, I am, I, I cannot go through this again with another child and of all the other stuff we're going to deal with. This little boy, rather amazingly, would, would, was happy to kind of put food in his mouth and taste it and spit it out if he didn't like it. The old one, on the other hand, I couldn't even get to put his tongue on a molecule just to try something new and I don't know why why children are like this um so that was a win and I just thought I am I am not fighting this I'm gonna take deep breaths I am gonna be chilled no matter what <laughs> and it wasn't it was difficult for patches of time I, I do recall but in overall thank goodness Henry just has an interest in food and it's made life a whole lot easier thinking of the underweight as well. Henry is ADHD. His body is in constant motion. He also uses a lot of sort of heavy breathing as um, a kind of sensory regulation. If I try and copy that, I'm exhausted after 30 seconds. He can do it for hours at a time. And he basically just burns up calories faster than he puts them in. And, and I mean, we are breakfast snack, lunch snack, supper snack another snack possibly it's it's a lot there is a lot going into this boy and thankfully a huge variety as well but um he's still typically underweight and i just again the usual diet dietitian advice does not work for him you know he eats well and and we're good that that's that's what i'm gonna go with for now and i hear as well obviously that that, that the reverse can be a problem and we have to think about how their brains work you know for the overweight or the overeaters but let's face it it's a packet of biscuits it's there in the cupboard it's food it's meant to be eaten why wouldn't you just eat the whole thing uh <laughs> we did go through years of locking things away and hiding food in cupboards that nearly drove me mad and, you know, well, you can't hide ice creams, can you, anywhere other than the freezer? And we don't buy ice creams individually, do we? We buy them in boxes. And Henry would just think, well, you know, I could see the way his brain was working. So he just wasn't wasn't accepting me going, Henry, no, that's enough for now. So you can have another one later. Because he's like, well, that's totally illogical. I mean, I could see the way he was looking at me going, oh, there they are in the freezer. I'm going to eat them. <laughs> And and again, it's just a kind of classic example of how different their brains are. So the typical advice that you get does not work. I remember going to see a nutritionist when Henry was very young. I paid a lot of money for this visit, and it was the first of many more professional visits where I actually left thinking, not I know better, but I just did not believe what they were telling me. I just did not believe that 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 related to my child. I remember saying to the nutritionist, look, you know, I think Henry very much goes on his body. He can't communicate with me, but I know that I think when his body needs 
calcium, etc. That's when I see him go to the fridge and he gestures for milk and he drinks loads of milk. But two days later, he won't drink any milk, you know, for the next week or so. And I think he, I think he, you know, subconsciously is extremely in tune with what his body needs. It, it, it speaks to him. And she was like, absolutely no, 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 no. That, that's how we get you know, big eating problems with children. They do not know necessarily what their bodies need. And imagine if that was sugar, he would be addicted in no time. And how would you get him off that? Blah, blah, blah. And I just, I just went away and I just thought, I actually, nope. I, I have no qualifications in this field, but I really don't agree with what she just told me. So, so that was the last nutritionist we ever saw. <laughs> and Henry would and still does often mix it up. He would sit in that high chair and he would be eating pasta and he would gesture for the yogurt that was meant to be his pudding and I would let him have a couple of spoonfuls of that and then he would go back to the pasta. Would I have done that with my other two older children? Not in a million years. <laughs> but Henry was eating, it worked for him and hey, I mean nowadays mums of little toddlers and weaning are told to just mush the whole lot up on the tray and let them tuck in with their fingers and their <laughs> whatnot. So so yeah, we're kind of kind of midway through here and I'll just stop to say a quick thank you. Thank you for your listens to me just kind of bleating on about <laughs> my own life really. And uh, your follows, you can click the plus little follow button on your wherever you get your podcasts from that you know are free. And please, if anybody would like to leave a review or make a comment on a particular episode, that would be so amazing. And I apologize again for the lack of consistency with the Friday fortnightly releases. Um, it will come right. A few, couple of more months to go. <laughs> so right back to where we were. I can only kind of encourage parents to mix it up big time on the food itself, experiment. Yes, there will be disasters. And when there are, just try your hardest not to get riled by it. Take the food away. I mean, I've had years where the food was very quickly whisked under a cold tap. So ruined, basically. What can I do? I have had food. Obviously, we all have in those early toddler stages. But for many of us, that goes on a lot longer. That is thrown on the floor. And I haven't always reacted well we're human after all but I have learned over the years to just put it in the bin put my thoughts and feelings in the bin with it turn around and just make something else make what they actually want if you don't know what that is just resort to a preferred and you know whether it's supper time and you just turn your back and give them a bowl of cereal just that's fine just end that meal on a good note in whatever format that takes. And again, those rules. Sitting at the table is a big deal. Um, for many, 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 many years, my son has eaten off the floor. And I mean, I don't mean food off the floor. I mean a plate on the floor, sitting with his body on the floor, because that takes the pressure away of having to get his body held in a particular position on a chair. And we have always allowed Henry to come, if he comes into the dining room, we are having our meal. I'm good. It's an hour and a half or so later. I know he's had his meal. If he picks things off our plates, which, okay, terrible manners, how dare you, we have allowed it because it has actually been fascinating to see the things that he has gone for and that he is actually capable of eating. When you have stripped away the whole demand of the occasion of sitting down for your meal, when the child themselves has had food and is not no longer desperate to get something to eat, 
they experiment. And oh my gosh, he has blown us away. This is the boy that honestly, even now, age 12, struggles with a sandwich because why would you have bread and cheese? Why would you put the cheese in the bread? That's that's just ridiculous. He will eat bread and he will eat cheese, but he will not eat cheese in bread, i.e. a sandwich. <laughs> so you can imagine all things with sauces, with mixed ingredients, no chance. Next thing we know, he comes tootling into the dining room. We try to act like this is all absolutely fine and normal. Let's not make a big deal out of it. And he tucks into half my meal, which is a spicy chicken curry with chickpeas sauce. The works like unbelievable. Of course, I get super excited three days later, decide, right, I'll give that to him for his meal at five o'clock. Oh, my word. No, didn't eat it. <laughs> That's the other thing. Never any consistency. Take the wins when you have them. <laughs> Equally, I'm trying to kind of cast my mind back because I sort of think back to when Henry was really young and how much I wish I had someone to talk to or listen to like this on a podcast um, who's lived it and who knows what it's like. And so I'm hoping parents of the younger children can tune into this too. There's a lot that I've kind of wiped <laughs> from my memory, unfortunately. Yeah, difficult memories. Um, but on the food front, honestly, I I just for so many years thought it would never get any better. At, at age three, I thought Henry would never drink out of a cup like out of a glass of water, have a glass of water. That's how difficult it was to get Henry to drink even out of a beaker. And I remember my absolute, it was like scary to me and, and this severe concern. This little boy was not managing to pick up a beaker and drink out of it. It it took six months of daily practice and 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 I never ever thought we'd get there. And now this boy not only drinks out of a glass, he doesn't break glasses, he can pour his own water from the tap or from a bottle. And I mean, it's hilarious. Uh, for a long time, that, that glass actually sat literally on the edge of the table. It used to freak me out, but he just somehow knew that it wasn't going to fall off. And likewise with pouring, he will pour to within a tenth of a millimeter from the rim and he doesn't overflow. I mean, it's, yeah, so there. At age six, I thought he would never, ever, ever use a fork, spoon, or knife. Um, at age eight, I thought he would never use a fork independently without me having to remind him to use the fork. Literally, every single mouthful. And I mean, literally, he would, I would say, Henry used the fork, and he would use a fork for a mouthful, and then I wouldn't say anything for the next mouthful, and he would use his fingers. And then I'd say... Please use the fork for the next mouthful. <laughs> and every time I didn't say it, he used his fingers. And I feel like that went on interminably and would never end, but somehow it did. <laughs> Currently now at age 12 and, and in huge part, thanks to his part, residential school, Henry sits at the table for every meal. He has his spot in the kitchen at the kitchen table with his placemat those things I keep very much the same and then the food I choose to mix it up because there is honestly nothing worse than you know they can get into these kind of loops where um, not only does it have to be a margarita pizza but it has to be a margarita pizza from a specific shop and and that can just start to cause you so much stress so 
the food I try to mix up as much as I can and obviously play it by ear and, and sense his regulation and where he is at on that particular day or for that particular meal. And he can use a knife and fork. He doesn't really do it that much at home and I'm not bothered. I've got bigger fish to fry than that. Um, I do tend to cut up his food still. Um, but he's great with a fork. I'd no longer have to tell him it with every mouthful. I don't even have to sit with him. He has his iPad now at home. That's good. At school he doesn't because he's at the table with other people. And I tend to now prepare the main meal for the rest of the family whilst he's eating his meal. And it's great. We're both kind of in the kitchen, in our space. He's got used to all the sounds. I know he's tuning into what I'm doing and what I'm preparing and noticing everything that I think has generated some interest, which is wonderful. He will often step in and help me peel carrots that he seems to do expertly well with an, an extremely sharp peeler that, uh, yeah, he doesn't, mm, they can be so accurate and really surprise you sometimes. And it's obviously very, very demand free. And I can't quite believe we've we've got here. And I hope it gives others um, some hope. <laughs> Just remember to, yeah, gosh, try and try and be positive, mix it up a lot. And I mean, mix the food, you know, just because they don't eat cheese perhaps try you know perhaps that was slices of cheese try try cubes of cheese try grated cheese all totally different foods I mean Henry eats all sorts of different kinds of pastas that he I think interprets as completely different meals when they're a different shape so that's an absolute win he will go for months at a time insisting that it can only be pesto and then suddenly switch to it can only be tomato basil sauce and and we, we just roll with that and finally don't take advice from professionals who either aren't autistic themselves or who haven't actually lived it I know they are hugely knowledgeable but our children's brains work differently and it is not the same type of relationship don't also ever mess with a preferred food as a fantastic woman tells us to do. Um, you can look her up. She's absolutely incredible. She absolutely does live the autistic journey. She is a nutritionist, I think, or food blogger or something. She's just an incredible knowledge. Her name is Yaffi, Y-A-F-F-I, Lvova. I'm not sure I've pronounced that correctly, L-V-O-V-A. I will put her details in the show notes. She appears as a guest on one of the Uniquely Human podcast episodes, one of my favorites. It is episode number 77, so that's a good starting point for you to get a sort of brief overview. Um, she just, she's just brilliant. She's funny. She's, she just, she gets it. She totally gets it. And everything she says makes so much sense. So I'm sure you could tap into books she has written and her website. And I'm, I'm sure there's probably webinars and all sorts, but, but a fantastic source if you are struggling at the moment. And as usual, I will end my podcast by saying, please, please, you are not alone. Um, I hope these episodes are something you can really resonate with and I hope you feel validated. Um, you genuinely are not alone and your child is going to be okay. I will drop the next episode literally next Friday 
um, to make up for this week's delay on this one. So yeah, have a good week, everybody, and um, get your headspace back after half term for those of you in the UK. Take care.